want to welcome in at the beginning of our show today, the final drive, NBA Hall of Fame journalist David Aldridge joins us this afternoon. Mr. Aldridge, thank you for your time this afternoon and welcome to the final drive. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it very much. You know, as I was growing up and continued to watch the NBA and the coverage that you've provided, not only on ESPN, but TNT. And, you know, I, I, I love the NBA. I'm an NBA junkie. And I know one of your probably when you were growing up following whether it was the Washington Bullets or the Washington Wizards, having an opportunity to cover the game of basketball for a living. Talk to us what that means to you. Well, you know, I've been very lucky. I, I don't think I've, I have no doubt in my mind that I've been incredibly fortunate um, that I got an opportunity at a, at a young age to, to start covering the NBA. I mean, most people don't get that, that opportunity, um, you know, in their, in their mid-20s to, to cover an NBA team and cover the league. Uh, for a paper like the Washington Post, I got very, very fortunate that I, the opportunity was there. Uh, it was a time where newspapers were still, you know, the, the main means by which people found out about whatever sports teams they liked. Um, and you wanted to work for a newspaper, and I was able to do that and work for, you know, a, a paper with some following. and a paper that had the budget that could send me wherever around the country, around the world to go cover NBA players and teams. And it was, you know, I was very lucky. And it was a time when, you know, young guys like me were getting opportunities to cover the league. Um, and so it was, that was what got me started. And, and I've never forgotten that. And it's been wonderful. I mean, I've seen the world because of basketball. And for somebody that could not play a lick, <laughs> I'm very, I'm very blessed that I got that I've gotten this opportunity to kind of, you know, really have an have the chance to to cover the league at a at a very great part of the league's history. You know, the the kind of end of the Magic Bird era, but really the start of the Michael Jordan era, and that uh, is kind of the start of the more modern NBA era. Well, it's funny, you know, when the NBA season concludes and you have the NBA Finals, of course, the draft being next Thursday, and we still have a plethora of topics that are piling up on one another. Of course, today, Michael Jordan decides to sell his majority share in the Hornets for $3 billion, and he had a 13-year run as majority owner, and he still is keeping a minority stake. But when you look at... The, the GOAT, who I consider the GOAT in, in Michael Jordan, I know that being a businessman is a lot different because he could control the other four teammates and what was going on when he was on the floor. But being an owner, whether it's of this franchise or in other activities that he's involved in, it's a little bit different for who I consider to be the GOAT. Oh, it's, it's very different. And that's part of, the I think, the frustration that, that Michael had is that you can't do anything to control the outcome. You know, like you can, you can plan and prepare and you can spend money and draft people, but they have to decide. I mean, your coaches and your players decide how the games are played and whether or not you win. Um, and you have to sit there in your chair <laughs> and that drives Michael crazy. I think um, so. So I think it's, it's that and a bunch of other things, but yeah, I think he just felt like it, it was, 
it's a good time to to kind of take a step back. Um, he's on that team for quite a long time, um, and you know he's sixty years old now, so he may have something else that he wants to spend the majority of his time doing that doesn't involve kind of the day-to-day grind of owning an NBA team. So, um, you know, he he did not have the success in Charlotte. I think it's fair to say that, that he thought he would have. Um, some of that may have been his doing, but some of it wasn't. Uh, it's just the tough market to get people to come to, to want to come to in free agency. Uh, so that was part of it. Um, and I think, you know, honestly, as you know, as as Michael's career gets further and further into history, there's probably fewer and fewer people that that revere his legacy and think of him in the way that they think of a Kobe or LeBron. You know, if you talk to NBA players under 25 now, their heroes were Kobe and LeBron because that's who they grew up watching. You know, so so it's a different mindset. It's a different mature. You know, it's a different level of of type of um, reverence for players. And so Michael may not have been as successful as a closer in terms of, you know, getting people that want to come play in Charlotte that he may have been 20 years ago or 15 years ago. We're speaking with David Aldridge, our guest on the final drive this afternoon, Hall of Fame NBA journalist, now with The Athletic in D.C. David, obviously, you know, the Nuggets just win the title. We've been talking a lot about Jokic. Should he or should he not have won a third straight MVP? I'm sure the finals MVP eases that pain for him just fine. How do you stack him up now among, historically, the greatest big men of all time just because he's so unique as compared to the rest of them? Well, I just, it's funny you ask that because I just wrote this yesterday in The Athletic that I think he is a, uh, there's a very apt comparison between him and Tim Duncan. And, and it's not, it's not apples to apples in terms of they're on the court, what they do on the court, what they excel at, but it is the fact that they are very kind of selfless superstars. Like, they don't want the attention. They literally recoil at any individual attention or accolades or things like that. They really don't want it. They don't give you very much in terms of interviews. Um, you know, they they like to keep the activity and the interest on what they do on the floor. Um, and they're both, you know, team guys. They are team-oriented superstars who kind of lean into the team doing well as opposed to people calling attention to them and what they do well, what they are excellent at. Um, And so I certainly think Jokic is on that path. I'm not saying he's going to win five titles like Duncan did, but my experience over 30 years of covering the NBA is that great players who get a taste of winning at the highest level, they tend to get greedy about it. (laughs) One's not enough. Um, and if they have any breaks with injuries and things like that, they tend to wrap, you know, rip off two or three in a very short period of time. So if, if Jokic and Murray and the rest of that team can stay healthy, I, I'm not going to be surprised if they're back in another finals again very soon. Um, the West is, you know, transitioning, I think it's fair to say. Um, Golden State, I'm not saying they're out, I'm not saying they're done, but certainly they're their dynasty is nearing its end. I think it's fair to say uh, LeBron is still viable, but LeBron's 38. You know, he can't, he's not going to be doing this in six years, you know? 
Um, the Clippers have a very good team, but they have not been able to stay healthy. So it's not like there's an obvious team. Even Phoenix, you know, they put all their chips in to get KD. Well, KD's 34 years old. He's not a kid, and um, they don't have a lot of depth. So, you know, Denver's kind of sitting there going, you know, we're pretty good right now. <laughs> and the teams that maybe can come up and challenge us, you know, Sacramento's on the come, Memphis is on the come, but they're not there yet, you know. And so I think Denver's looking at it, why can't we? do this again, you know, next year? Why can't we do this again, you know, for three, two or three times in, in, in these next few years while our guys are in their prime, our guys are in the, the meat of their careers? David, have you seen a more subdued championship celebration? Denver wins on their own floor. It's their first world championship in <laughs> franchise history. And the Joker, yeah. he looked like he had more fun at the parade on yesterday, and so did the rest of the team versus what you saw on the floor clinching on their home floor. Yeah, no, I I agree. I mean, it was a little subdued. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um for a team that had won it, you know, it's the franchise's first championship. Um, it was a little subdued. Um, I don't know if that's because, you know, Jokic is just that kind of guy. He's just not a big demonstrative guy. Um, I think, you know, Jamal Murray was very emotional. He was crying, you yeah. know, at the end. Um, but, yeah, I, I do agree with you. It was, I thought there would be more kind of a raucous craziness. Um, but there was, there wasn't the parade. I mean, guys, you know, there was <laughs> guys with their shirts off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, I, I see what you're saying. It was not as kind of full throated, you know, craziness as I thought, as I thought there may be. It, w- without question, we're speaking with David Aldridge. He is an NBA Hall of Fame journalist formerly on ESPN and TNT and really enjoy watching your coverage growing up myself. And it's a, it's a pleasure to be talking with you this afternoon here on the final drive. But when you look at the NBA as a whole, of course there, again, we talked about the topics that stack up on top of themselves. John Morant, yeah. he, he's, he's that future franchise guy. He's a guy that has 10 or 15 more years in him, And of course he gets in trouble missing the first 25 games because of conduct detrimental to the league. Uh, I, I think he'll learn. I thought he would have learned from the first time, and of course now it being the second time. I know the third time, and he's in all type of, of trouble. He's looking at it longer than that. But were you so surprised at all with the length of the suspension only being 25 games? No. I, I That sounded about right, just kind of talking to people around the league. Um you know, I think that you have to kind of weigh up a few things. I mean, if you go, if you look at, you know, the longest suspension, it was, you know, Ron Artest got 73 games for the, you know, the malice in the palace. Um, that was certainly a very, very different type of incident. Um, and I, you know, there were people talking about, you know, half of the season. I just never thought the NBA was going to go that far. Um, because of multiple factors, but you know the main thing is I think you you, you want to punish the player, but you can't hamstring the team if you know what I'm saying. Like sure. you have to make it clear that the player did something that you don't like. But if you suspend him half the team half the season, you're basically 
you know, making it impossible for the team to be competitive next year at the level that they should be competitive at. Um, so I think a happy medium was somewhere. I thought it might be 20. So 25 sort of make is in there, right? It's in that ballpark. So that made sense, I think. Um, yeah, I thought that was about what I thought they would do because the NBA is big on recidivism. Um, if you do something more than once, they tend to come down on you heavier. If you just go back and look at what they did with Dennis Rodman over the years and as he continued to act out, they added, suspended him for more and more and more games. So, you know, they started with eight with, with Ja, and now it's up to 25. And obviously if this happens again, you're talking about a much longer and much more, you know, serious suspension in terms of missing most of, if not all of the season. So you would like to think this won't happen again with him. David Aldridge, our guest on the final drive this afternoon. David, do you, uh, with, there's been a lot made about since the Nuggets swept the Lakers. Obviously, LeBron was, I, I guess, non committal is, is the right word on, on next season. Do you buy any mm-hmm. of that? Do you, like, wh- how, how, on a scale of one to 10, I guess, how shocked would you be if he did decide to hang it up this offseason? I still think, I mean, I think you always have to take anything that someone says right after their season ends, you know, when they're, you know, emotional and and they're tired and all of that sort of thing um, with with a grain of salt. Um, I I think I still believe LeBron in his heart of hearts wants to play with his son. I think that's a real thing. I think Browning will play one year at USC and turn pro. <laughs> um, and I think LeBron would like to play another two years so that he can play with his son. Now, will that be in L.A. with the Lakers or with somebody else? I don't know. Um, my guess is it'll be with the Lakers, but I can't say that with 100% certainty. Um, but I do think that that is still what he wants to do more than anything else. Um, and it's not like LeBron's game has dropped off dramatically. Uh as long as the Lakers do what they have said they were going to do, which is re-sign Reeves, re-sign Hachimura, pretty much roll back the team that they created after the trade at the trade deadline, I should say. Um, I think he'll be okay coming back because that's a pretty good team. It's not a bad team at all. You know, it's a team that has a chance um, to to do some damage in the Western Conference. Um, but if for some reason they lose one or two of those guys. Maybe he takes another look at it. But my guess is, and it's just a guess, is that LeBron's probably going to play until he has a chance to play with Bronny. Well, what's interesting as a fan here for myself and my producer, Michael Bronner, and for you having a chance to see Magic and Bird play along with Jordan and then Jordan passes that along to LeBron and you have that that debate on Kobe and, and Kobe passes away and, and, and you instantaneously say, okay, we, we just really wanted to hear more of Kobe and just his insights that he brought to the game, not only playing it, but when Benyama, this young man yeah. that, that's going to be drafted here, again, a generational player, the expectations that the Spurs are going to take him, do you think he can help pop out this in his last three years win another world championship? Benyama? Yes, sir. Um, um, it's going to take a while. <laughs> I mean, it's, look, he's incredibly talented. He's got incredible upside. I think, I think San Antonio is going to Take it very slowly with him. Um, 
if you look at the history of, of the NBA, there is a real line of demarcation for guys that are his size, you know, 7'3 and taller, um, getting hurt and, and not being able to kind of stay on the floor. So I think the Spurs are going to take it very slowly and be very careful with him the first year or two that he's in the NBA in terms of how many games he plays and how he builds up his body to handle the, the rigors of NBA play. Um, so it's going to take a while. And the roster's not good enough. They're not close to good enough right now. I think this is a, you know, four, five, six kind of outer limit plan to continue to add talent around him to develop the guys that they do have. They got a couple of really good pieces, um, you know, that I think in time have a chance to be pretty good, but it's going to take some time. You know, they need a point guard, I think, to kind of pull it all together, and he's probably not on the roster right now, you know. But they've got Sohan and they've got Devin Vassell. They've got some good young players, but it's going to take a while. Um, And I think they're in it for the long haul, whether that's, or pop, or if it's the next coach, whoever coaches that team, um, I think that's how they're going to take it. And so it's not going to happen right away, but it could happen because he's that good. I mean, he, he's got a chance, a real chance to be a all-time player with the skill set he has because his skill set just different from any skill set that I've ever seen for somebody his size. Well, after Wemba Miyama, you know, we as of course we know he's going number one. The debate becomes who goes number two at that point. Of course, down here in Mobile, we're partial towards Brandon Miller. Where do you lean in the uh, Miller versus Scoot Henderson debate? I think it all depends on who you are, who's picking second. I mean, you know, the Hornets obviously they've got Lamelo Ball, right? Now you have to decide as an organization: are we going to go further? with LaMelo Ball as our point guard or Scoot Henderson as our point guard. And that's a decision you have to make. And there's no right answer. I mean, the answer is whatever you think. Um, But let's say for the sake of argument that they go, hey, LaMelo Ball is more than good enough. Like, he's a terrific player. When he's healthy, he's really good. He's a top 12, top 10 level point guard. Then I don't think it – to me, it's no brainer. you got to take Brandon Miller. He's too talented. He can do too many things. Um, as a complimentary player to LaMelo. And remember, they'll be getting Miles Bridges back after 10 games. Um, so they, they've got P.J. Washington. they got pieces down there now. You know, like, they've got some talent down there. Um, it just needs to come together and get older. Um, but if you're not sold as an organization on LaMelo, then I could definitely see them taking Scoot because Scoot Henderson's really good. He's a face of the franchise type player. Um, so I, if it was me, I'd probably take Brandon Miller just because of his skill set. It's just too good. I mean, it's just too, he can do too many things. And I'm very partial to guys that just like in football, that play against pros, you know, in the SEC, they play against pros every week yeah. <laughs> when they play com- in conference. That's a pro. It's a pro in Florida, it's a pro in Alabama, it's a pro at Auburn. You're playing against guys that are going to play on Sunday. Same in the, you know, same in the NBA with, with SEC play. You're playing against pros a lot. You know, you're playing against guys that are going to be making a lot of money. So 
if you excel in that conference, chances are you're going to be a very good player in the NBA. David Aldridge wrapping up with him. He's an NBA Hall of Fame journalist writing for The Athletic. And the last couple of questions I have for you. I know that whether it's the Washington Bullets or Washington Wizards, you know, with Bradley Beal and the speculation that Miami is coming in as an eighth seed, makes it to the NBA Finals, can you see Bradley Beal in a Miami Heat uniform next year? Certainly possible. I mean, it's going to, you know, there's a lot of factors in play. Uh, Brad controls his future because of his no trade clause. He can go where he wants to go, you know. So if he wants to go to Miami, um, that's his number one destination. Uh, he can certainly ask the Wizards to do that. Um, I think there will be other teams interested. In fact, I know there are other teams that are very interested in Brad. Um, he's going to want to go to a contending team. I'm almost certain he's not going to be interested in a rebuild. Um, so, you know, but there are teams out there, Milwaukee for one, Phoenix for one. I mean, those are good teams. It's not like he'd be going to a bad team if he were traded to one of those teams. Um, but certainly Miami's in the mix. Uh, the Wizards have to want to make that deal too, though, um, because at the end of the day, worst comes to worst, they can just run it back. I mean, Brad's got four years left in his contract here. In Washington, so it's not like you know he can sit out for two years and wait. I mean, if they don't want to make the trade, they can just play him here next year, and and he has incentive to play well in Washington for several reasons. One, obviously, you want to keep your trade value up, but two, I think it's important to Brad that he be you know there's a very big record that's available to him this year. He's about 160 or so points behind Elvin Hayes for the franchise's all-time leading scorer record. I think that matters to Brad. I really do think that's important to him, um, you know, because he's got a lot of loyalty to this franchise. So while everybody wants to trade him today, and they very well could come up with a trade in the next few days or weeks, there's also the chance he could come back to Washington and play next season and play, you know, break the record and, and have that on his resume and in his heart and then maybe seek a trade next summer. You know, there's there's moving parts here. But I, I do think while he certainly is the lead in terms of where he goes, the Wizards do have some say in this because he does have four years left on his contract. Yeah. So, you know, he's not in a position where he can just kind of not play for a year. Like, he, that's not He's going to have to play um, if they don't get the deal that they want to. David Alvarez, the last question I have for you. You've seen a lot of great basketball, a lot of great basketball players. If you had, a, and I know everything is generationally challenged to where you mentioned whether you grew up with Kobe or, or Mike or, or, or LeBron, the best basketball player that you've seen play with your own eyes and that you've covered, who would you say yep. that would be? Um, I'm kind of a broken record on this guy. <laughs> Um, I didn't see Bill Russell play live. You know, I can only go by what people who did see him play live say. I didn't see Wilt play live. I can only go by what people who did see him live say. 
The best player I ever saw play live was Michael Jordan, and it's not particularly close. (laughs) There we go. go. um, All due respect to Kobe and LeBron and LeBron, you know, Kareem. I saw Kareem at the end of his career. Like, I didn't see dominant 73, you know, 71 through 77, 78 Kareem. You know what I mean? Like, um, I was a kid. I was six years old. You know? um, But he was great. Don't get me wrong. I respect what Kareem did, he was an amazing, incredible basketball player. But of the guys I saw when I was an adult, from an, being an adult, Michael's the best I've ever seen. And, and your most Period. memorable moment, I, I agree, MJ is my goat as well, David. Your most memorable moment covering basketball, and cover, whether it's writing or ESPN or TNT, your most memorable yeah. moment. Well, it would have to me, it would have to be the Dream Team, covering the Dream Team in 92. I mean, that was... Um, it's hard to explain how big that was, <laughs> but it was, it was big. Uh, it was the first time that NBA players played in the Olympics. Um, the world viewed the NBA as the, by far, no question, number one league in the world with the best players in the world. Um, there were other, there were great players on other teams, don't get me wrong. There were a, in in '92. There were a lot of really really great players, Tony Kukoc and and players like that. You know who were on other teams that played at a high level. But you know the NBA, the Dream Team, obviously had the best players and the best team. And so Magic and Bird and Jordan and Pippen and Barkley and Karl Malone and David Robinson and Stockton. I mean, it was just it was insane. It was insane. And the reverence that everybody else held those players in was just remarkable. Uh, the other teams and the other players wanting pictures with the, with the U.S. players yeah. and wanting their autographs and stuff like that. You know, it was just it was a different time, but um, the, the the quality that they played with, as I have always often said, they weren't playing their opponents; they were playing the game of basketball. They were playing to see how good a basketball team could be. And it was remarkable watching them play and, and the, the, their ability to kind of just play together. And they didn't care who scored. It just, the ball just moved. And it was just, and just from a, just being in Barcelona and being in Spain and watching that team was just, it was incredible. I can't, I can't describe. It's hard to describe how, how memorable a feeling it was to be there at that time. It was a special, special, special summer for me. Well, I tell you, you've created a lot of special moments for a lot of NBA fans in your current writing on The Athletic and in your coverage on ESPN and TNT. Can't thank you enough for your generosity for joining us here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5 in Mobile, Alabama. And again, a Hall of Fame, NBA Hall of Fame journalist. How can people continue to follow all of your NBA coverage and, and just The Athletic in general? Well, theathletic.com is our website. Um, it's a pay website, um, but, you know, as I tell people every time, it's about five or six bucks a month, so that's the cost of a latte at Starbucks. <laughs> you know? yeah. So one pure latte a month, you get, the I think, the best sports coverage of any sports, you know, entity, media company on earth. I, I, I truly believe that. I don't think anybody covers as much as we do around the world, every sport at every level, you know, from college to 
through the pros, whether it's basketball or football or baseball or soccer, we cover it. WNBA, we cover it. You know, we cover everything. Um, and, you know, I'm proud to work for, for, for the athletic. I think it's been a game changer. Um, and as someone who really loves words, I love people who write well and who, who, who are in those love, who are in love with words the same way I am. So, uh, that's where you can find me and find other people who cover uh, the NBA and cover sports, I think, better than anybody. David Aldridge, thank you so much for your time here on The Final Drive, and we look forward to talking to you again. My pleasure, guys. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.